Hello and welcome to The Sacred. My name is Elizabeth Oldfield and I'm hosting this new podcast about how we talk to each other across differences of belief or identity or community. And part of the rationale behind that is an experience I've had over the last year. I've spent some time away on maternity leave. And as part of that, I really decided to switch myself off from some of our big public conversations from social media in particular and from the news cycle in order to really focus on that um, time with my family. But for those of us who feel a sense of wanting to contribute to the world, of wanting to engage uh, with wider society, tempting as it was, we can't stay away forever. So uh, I re-engaged with our public conversations reasonably recently and discovered uh, just how much had changed even in uh, a few short months. It feels like our debate is even more fractured. We're even more prepared to write each other off, caricature each other, to talk past each other, to stereotype, to hurl insults and to assume bad faith. I think we all feel this, that we've become deeply polarised both across and within, suppose, communities, identities and beliefs. And to be quite honest, I'm scared that our ability to truly engage with each other in order to be able to work together for the common good is faltering. Mark Thompson, the former director general of the BBC, is now on the board of the New York Times and he actually gave the very first Theos annual lecture many years ago, has said recently that we are increasingly reluctant to even try to find a common language with which to engage with people and cultures whose values differ substantially from our own. And that matters. It matters for all of us. But it definitely matters for religious people, for Christians like me who believe we have something good and true and beautiful to to offer, to hold out humbly, who want to be in public, serving society, inviting people into community and the adventure of faith. So I'm working on a hunch, a hunch that no one really wants a public language that's so painful and exhausting that it is actually better for everyone if we treat each other like human beings, if we really listen and refuse to kick back, even when people, as they almost always are somewhere, infuriating and just so wrong. So how about, rather than trying to fix our divides in order to be able to talk to each other, we started talking to each other, trying to understand each other in the hope that it might be a shortcut to healing some of those deep differences, or at least help us live better with them. So that's going to be the theme of these conversations. And of course, like all good podcasts, it's partly just an excuse for me to have a natter with some really lovely, interesting people and introduce you to them. They come from all kinds of different backgrounds, beliefs and roles in public life, but they're all thoughtful about how we live together well and what role religion, faith and spirituality might have to play in that. Today, you're going to listen into a conversation I had with Pippa Evans, who's a performer and an improviser, mainly in the comedy world. You might know her from Showstoppers, which are these extraordinary bespoke improvised musicals, or from her hilarious topical songs on The Now Show on Radio 4, her recent song on the sexual harassment crisis, which goes, you need to look this up, don't touch people who don't want to be touched, has been stuck in my head for weeks. On the side, in her, I'm sure, copious spare time, she is the co-founder of the Sunday Assembly globally, chair of their board, and continues to host the London Gathering. And we're going to hear quite a lot more about what the Sunday Assembly is. I spoke to her about her childhood crush on Jesus, what led her to set up what's been dubbed the Atheist Church, and how she's always swum against the tide. We recorded at Pippa's flat in Stockwell, so you can hear a little bit of the children in the playground outside her window, which I think is probably a good thing to have in the background of conversations about the big stuff. 
as you were growing up, what was the kind of religious, spiritual, believing, unbelieving climate in which young Pippa was raised with her, I assume, pigtails and pickles? Uh, well, it's funny that you asked me this, actually, because I've just been uh, rereading my teenage diaries for a Radio 4 project called My Teenage Diary, um, which uh, means I'm, I'm quite well versed in what I was like as a teenager. <laughs> and that is desperately in love with Jesus yeah. himself. Yeah. In, fact, in my diary, there's a list of my top men. <laughs> Number one, Jesus, brackets, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, but I wasn't actually brought up in a, so that was a Baptist church that I was belonged to when I was 14. But actually when I was, I brought up in very much a C of E, kind of what I call a Richard Curtis church. You right. know, everyone lovely. There's a church, a church choir and putting on pantomimes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so a very lovely upbringing. Was Ray Atkinson, in fact, the vicar? He, he, he could have been. It was, in fact, Peter Watkins, who I know, Peter, if you're listening, I did promise I'd ring you and we'd go for lunch, and we will <laughs> still do that. Um, so, yeah, so I was brought up in that kind of... Um, community version of church which would I think is the best way to explain explain church in England is there's very much you're, you're a part of a family but the emphasis is more on you looking out for each other and stuff and and the the bible and stuff is there but it's not maybe the emphasis isn't quite so much on your own relationship with Jesus which when I went to Baptist church I just loved as a teenager <laughs> the pop songy style of the music I mean I just loved this mu- music's a big part of my life anyway and I just thought like oh this is great so much better than the stuffy hymns and uh and i just thought it's great to go to soul survivor these big christian camps and stuff yeah absolutely was in love with jesus and then when i was 17 i sort of stopped believing my mum's theory is that church was my cocoon Mm -hmm. and that it was a safe place for me to be in my teenage years where i was becoming a woman and then once i was a woman well the beginnings of being a woman is one ever fully a woman that's for a different podcast. Uh, the yeah, once I was sort of in a safe place as that in my development, I left. Yeah, um, uh, and I yeah stopped stopped believing in God. And there's a great quote. Who said it? Maybe you know. Is um, I, I, I don't believe in God anymore, but boy, do I miss him. It's Julian Barnes. Yeah, great, yeah. great quote. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, that's sort of how, how I left church going. Oh, and uh, so I left not believing in God anymore and feeling a bit lonely. And then I realised that actually wasn't God I missed, it was church. And I yeah. really missed that community thing, which might be because that's where I'd started with church. is actually yeah. more that community vibe than the yeah. spiritual stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my sort of upbringing. Um, for, interestingly, my two... I've got three brothers, and uh, they used to be hideous to me because I spent so much time at church, and yeah. they'd just be really cruel and black. You love Jesus. You know, <laughs> Jesus and Pippa kissing in a tree. Uh, and now two of those brothers are really very... have a very strong relationship yeah. with uh, the church and Jesus. So, um, so it's interesting that they've ended up being church people yeah, yeah. and I, I've ended up creating a alternative to church in yeah. Sunday assembly so you once told me that you uh, at Christmas you'd go home and compete about how many churches you'd planted Oh, yeah, yeah, Sunday yeah, Sunday yeah. churches and there's more traditionally <laughs> Christian churches. Yeah, right. One of my brothers, he uh, started another. He started another church or was involved in the beginning of another church in Birmingham, and yeah, and it just became a little bit. Um, oh yeah, well we've got seventy Sunday assemblies around the world, so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. poor little chicken. Sibling rivalry, yes, on a mass ecclesiastical scale. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you mind if I uh, see? 
part of the reason this is a great job for me is I'm just sort of deeply nosy. Uh, but you you said that quite casually. I just stopped believing in God. Yeah. Uh, tell me what was going on around then. What would you say maybe your reasons were? What happened? And so many things. And um, I remember... Th- maybe your diary tells you. Well, no, it doesn't actually. Interestingly, it stopped. I, I wasn't... A, a very sort of... Um, strict about keeping it for about a year yeah. and then it just almost every five months I write something and there's yeah. just one entry that says I've stopped I don't go to church anymore I've stopped believing in God and I feel very lonely and that's what oh, it says it's sad isn't it poor little bits uh, and uh, yeah and I you know that was true but I think there was several things one of my um, I, in fact I was reminded of it um, a, a Christian singer that I was very into and loved um, was revealed to have had a had an affair and um and cheated on his wife and four children, and and I felt like he'd been so holy and pure on set. Not pure in that, but he seemed like such a good guy. And then yeah. he'd done something that seemed to me, you know, at that age, you're so everything's so unforgivable, isn't it? Because yeah. it's so black and white. Uh, and maybe if that was now, I'd probably be a bit more open-minded about it. But uh, yeah, I remember that being real. Like, what this this person that was supposed to be leading us all to the Lord has behaved in such a horrible way so I that was one first thing and then another thing was a friend of mine was just had like the worst life she had like an, a horrific life uh, everything went wrong terrible parents staff sort of EastEnders style stuff that you go surely people don't treat other people like this yeah. horrific and I remember thinking and she was a church girl and I remember thinking come on this can't like why if you care about so how can this be what god thinks and i think it's also about my quite a naive picture of what god was the idea that god was a man in the sky with a beard who was looking after me yeah so this very yeah uh the idea that there's someone who's had a plan and drawn it all out and and they know what's best for you yeah uh and then one other thing was a girl in my year at school killed herself at the funeral, they didn't really acknowledge that that happened in a... It was a Roman Catholic church. And there's something around, I don't know, Catholicism, so please don't let me offend anybody, but I believe there's something about it being a sin to take your own life. And so it just wasn't talked about. And I felt I felt like, what is this? And her father said in his eulogy, he said, we prayed all weekend for her to come back. Um, we prayed to God that he she he would bring her back, but I guess he was busy that day. And I remember it's like it smashed me in the chest. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, so um, I think those were all, and they're all quite close together. Those things. So I think, uh, so I think those those all contributed. And then as I was getting a bit more complex in my questions, maybe it seems like maybe the church I was going to, I couldn't find the people who were able to deal with my questions. Maybe. Yeah. Interestingly, my brother got married last year in the church that I'd had this very strong uh, experience of God in. And um, this man was there, Gordon, who I remembered and I always thought was great. And I was like, Gordon, oh my gosh. And we talked about it. And I said, oh, I guess you've heard about Sunday Assembly. And I felt a bit, it's not an anti-religious thing at all. If anything, it's a homage to uh, what, <laughs> what I wish, I, I wish that there was a way that my my I was able to partake in in a in a faith. Um, but um and he said he said, Oh yeah, I always remembered you and Sunday suddenly didn't surprise me because one day all my biggest memory of you is one day all the children had to make a fish. So this must have been when I was eleven or twelve. To make a draw a fish uh and colour it in and then there was a big fish on the wall and we all put our fish in the fish yeah. and it was like, We're all God's fish <laughs> 
<laughs> whatever. I mean, somebody's doing the five thousand activities. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We've got nothing to do. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> Draw a big fish. Uh, and he said, everyone stuck their fish inside the fish, facing the way of the fish. Apart from me, we stuck it outside the fish, facing the wrong way. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's. Well, that's Pretty amazing. Prophetic word from yeah. the Yeah, <laughs> interesting, isn't it, actually? Yeah. Well, yeah, it does speak out to me now. But I do think there's something about this. I, I think the word God is so problematic because of its baggage mm-hmm. in that. In that, when a lot of us say God, we think of old man in sky. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, so I've got a friend who who says, well, I just believe that God is love. Yeah. So if God is an energy that connects us all, then maybe I do believe yeah. in God. But that's that's like a yeah. a massive kettle of fish. There's a theologian, I can't remember his name, uh, who talks about um, God is... We use the word this word, God, 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 but God is not a proper noun. God is not a name. Like, it's a category. It's always, mm. You need to be really specific. Which one do you mean? Yes. And uh, what are the, you know, the qualities and the attributes of God? Because re- I remember very clearly working, um, doing some of the stuff at the RSA where we first met on the spirituality mm. report and feeling like it was the hardest thing to talk about. That actually people from different traditions and backgrounds and disciplines could talk about spirituality. We could talk about practices. We could talk about mindfulness. We could talk about meditation. We could even sort of talk about scripture and kind of moral guidance uh, but at one point I said you know I need to drop the g-bomb here and it should t- we need to actually put the subject of God somewhere in this conversation even though it makes everyone feel a bit squirmy and icky um, you know because it's it, it, God has the elephant in the room <laughs> um, yeah is often what's coming up in these things yeah and that's really it's very interesting isn't it because I think I think one of the things people find hardest to understand about myself is that I have is that I do not believe in God, but I totally respect people who have a spiritual faith. Yeah. And I think that's very hard to understand because I suppose I just see the good stuff of it. And I suppose what, again, it comes back to uh, maybe what is known as naive spirituality and maybe seeing my I don't believe in... I suppose I see my I don't believe in God as I don't believe that there's a person in the sky at a desk designing stuff. So when I say that... Nor do I. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so so I feel like in many ways we probably do believe in the same thing. It's just that you have a particular scripture and guidebook that you go with, which probably isn't dissimilar to to mine. And But how do you talk about that in a way that doesn't feel like I'm better than you? Yeah, yeah. I'm closer, my version of God is closer than yours. Yeah, but even then, it's like for me, it's that that word God is so problematic that yeah. I don't even want to say I believe. It's not even, I discuss. Can we discuss God if the word itself is the problem? So one of the things that we attempt, uh, attempted uh, at the RSC thing was this slightly clunky philosophical word, the objective transcendent, something beyond us, something mm. beyond the world, something maybe behind the world. It sounds like you, some days at least, maybe. Do believe that, but, but but again, for me, it's like energy. So it's kind of it's that feeling you get when. Uh, so I do a lot of improvisation, and I think that's the closest you can get to God. <laughs> and the reason for that, that is a great strapline for your work and some improv comedy advertising. Yeah, uh, that's Edinburgh next year sorted. Uh, yeah, it, it uh, is is these moments so showstopper let me just explain showstopper because I do think that's what the other thing is I think you can be a theologian and everything but that 
God, inverted commas, I'm using, is present in everything. In that, um, so I think it's the the connection between human beings that cannot be explained. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in Showstopper, we improvise full West End style musicals yeah. without. For, when we said just create them, but the the idea is that they are at that level. So we are creating something ridiculously high end, um, but with no preparation. But with no preparation other than we've worked on our skills. So it's like a football match, you know. You go out a football match, and when we're just all there creating the show, singing these songs that are so strong with emotion, and we're all we're there together. And you think there's ten people on this stage at this moment and creating this idea of the um you know the was it the extra note the um the harmonic or whatever the the thing that that is only the sum of all of us yeah and it's such a uh, a magical moment and we all have this energy feeling around us of something magical is happening much bigger than ourselves yeah uh, and i think i think that's the closest you can get to feeling feeling god if you don't have a spiritual practice yeah so maybe improvisation is my spiritual practice in a way yeah because it is connecting with people in a way that is not just uh verbal yeah but there's some kind of physiology is that a word yeah yeah in and terms of kind of our public conversations and how we talk to each other you know some things i've learned from you is this tend to really listen really listen to the other person before you are you know if you're just thinking about the thing you're going to say next then this isn't going to work. You're not going to build anything together because you've got to listen to the other person. Um, and then don't get defensive. Don't try and take things in a different direction. Say yes and and and, and try and build something together. And mm. that feels like two quite simple but reasonably uh, would be significantly useful tools if we could think about when we encounter people that are different from us, um, starting, with, starting there. Mm. Uh, does that feel like a reasonable thesis to you? Well, yeah, I think that is very reasonable. But I suppose the difficulty comes when you, when you encounter a gut feeling. Mm. So there's the, our cerebral feeling, I think. So, that, so in an improv show, for example, you want the scene to be about a, a pancake day, right? And someone comes on stage and starts talking about going to the moon, but you really wanted, to, for some reason, to do a scene about Panky Day. You need to, you need to drop your idea and follow mm-hmm. the, the the moon person. Yeah. But in a conversation, if someone's talking about something very so, so if you say, for example, we're talking about Christianity, and I just start being aggressively anti-Christianity. Yeah. For you to yes and that. Yeah. Is, is sort of carrying on. But I don't know. Maybe we should try it. This is now I'm feeling definitely uh, <laughs> out of my comfort zone, but as we know, one will see. All good. Um, uh, so I might say to you, um, it sounds like your uh, the moment that you stopped believing in God was much more emotional than rational. Uh, well, that's easy for you to say because you you want to say that because uh, it, it's hard for you to hear that there is no God. Yes, and... <laughs> Am I getting it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and it is hard for me uh, uh, that you don't think there's a God. And I think that I didn't... That em- emotion is a good thing and a positive and not a worse reason to stop believing in something, just a different and related reason. So then do I, yes, and you? So I don't know, I'm not sure. So, this but is... I think it is good because, you know, then you're, you're still talking from your own point of view. So if I came back at you again with, uh, um, I don't know, um, you're just 
but you're not hearing me. You're not hearing that there's no God. You're still saying there is a God. So, yeah. so how can we even have? Uh, so, so you're you're not really listening to me. Yeah. So at this point, I think my, I instinctively would move away from. So what the, the the way I try and do this when I'm in conversations and public events and things with people who really are quite hostile, mm. um, or on Twitter, quite often if I've done a thought for the day, the kind of backlash from people who would rather there was not any religious content um, is, is very, very hostile. And perhaps rather than saying yes and, I just don't get defensive, um, but try and get to the heart of what's going on there and say, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that and why do you think that and you know ask questions and do that kind of journalistic thing of mm. trying to draw out per- them personally and where they come from and their perspective and their set of lenses so I can understand where is this hostility coming from because uh, we're feeling creatures aren't we? mm. and part of what I think is going on in the public debates is we're all constantly in fight or flight yes. because we all feel because um, we've def- got 140 characters yeah so, yeah and course. And we feel defensive and we not, you know, we feel tribal and we feel like our identities are sometimes under threat or our country's under threat or our um, nation is under threat or, you know, our, all these kind of things. Um, so one of the things that I think is common to a kind of more sort of slightly journalistic and other led form of communication and improvising is this one, staying calm, which is hard. Mm. And two, constantly thinking about who's the person that I'm talking to. But is that, how much do you think that's because of social media being introduced? So, so many of these conversations we're witnessing are on social media, be that a response on Twitter or a Facebook post or um, uh, something, uh, reading an article online and then there's a comments box underneath. So, and those just aren't great places because you cannot hear the tone and you cannot see someone's eyes and I really believe that the secret to all the world is in the other person's eyes yeah and we say that again in improvisation all the time don't look at the floor don't look at the sky look at your partner's eyes because that's where the answer to it is yeah and um recently with the hashtag me too campaign had quite an interesting experience which if you're listening in three years time if you're listening in 2020 this was a big (laughs) thing that everyone forgot about very quickly as they often do with such (laughs) issues uh but there was the hashtag me too and i put a post on facebook about just saying you know hashtag me too uh and just saying you know essentially uh, to put it in a uh, paraphrase what i wrote was we need to think about how we're training girls and boys to live in the world because we're training girls to apologise and men to be aggressive uh, agree with that or whatever is fine um, but um, a man came on uh, someone I vaguely know but he and he said you know I don't I don't really get it I don't really understand and a couple of ladies quite uh, sort of jumped on him because he was being a bit ignorant yeah uh, and then he got very defensive and he left and he blo- has now blocked me and lots of people. Mm. And I feel sad about that because, for two reasons. One, because he's someone that needs to be having these conversations, but yeah. he chose the wrong space to do it in. Uh, and uh, there's something about if someone jumps on you, yeah. the first thought should be, I wonder why this person is jumping on me, rather than, well, yeah. you're obviously yeah. cruel. It's like, if, you know, again, if I, I don't know, if I said something that you found very offensive, I, yeah. I would hope to understand why you found that offensive rather than decide you're an idiot yeah uh, but it like a bit like something you said in the introduction um it's so much easier to find the people who agree with us yeah than it is to have go into that slightly murky space yeah and you know there's so many studies that are 
the, the, the people that we follow on social media and the, and the media that we read is basically self-reinforcing. You know, mm. the, the things that we already believe will be told are true, which means that when we come across someone who says something different, quite often it feels quite harsh because we're yeah. not used to it and it triggers all these kind of emotional reactions in us. And it might be that those women jumping on your friend on Facebook uh, felt, you know, felt you know the, the crusade to inf- to help him understand and uh but actually what might have been the best thing to do is to say okay well you know this is the background thanks for asking the question like let me help you understand like the whole thing with dads and daughters you know? mm. i felt really I, I felt really sad this week for a load of men who'd gone suddenly oh wow sexual harassment's a big pro- problem and i've got daughters and I and they're not therefore now I care about it, but you know, full stop. Yes. Now I care about it, and got beaten with massive sticks uh, because they hadn't expressed it quite right. And you know, there's all kinds of problems with that, of course there is. But next time, why would they yeah. express you know solidarity? And it feels like these ever kind of fracturing, increasing, tiny little communities within which we have a common language are getting smaller and smaller and further and further apart. But I think it's also dangerous to say maybe we're better. It's like there's I think that's the other thing is there's no single way for this it's almost like it's a flow chart you know you need to come into a situation and go uh you know I want to ask more questions about um sexual abuse it is really hard for strong men who've never experienced what it's like to have their ass rubbed constantly you know yeah I mean the amount of women who these things happen to so for us it's kind of incredulous that someone would even question it yeah and also the old it's a it's just a bit of fun but and so if someone says oh it's just a bit of fun and you and it just happens to be on the day that you've had this argument five six yeah. times that that's the time that you explode yeah it's like okay so today is the time when you have to go oh I've made someone explode I wonder why that is let's yeah. ask the question but it's not necessarily maybe that's the time I don't have the patience to say yeah. I'm sorry you know and the, the ladies who jumped on this chat were friends of mine and they were they're just frustrated with having to have this conversation all the time yeah. it's like how can I why why still click on that hashtag and read a thousand accounts of what happened yeah. to people yeah but but at the same time like you say another approach would have been to say I see what you're saying and we can have a gentle conversation about it but yeah. it takes a huge amount of discipline takes a huge amount of patience takes a huge amount of um, kind of emotional security and resources to be drawn on from other from elsewhere to keep talking across difference in a way that doesn't give in to that incredibly human temptation to just just lose it and to start which is again I think the problem with the Facebook is you're actually starting a conversation with the person who put the post up but it's open to whoever's seen it. So you're actually going to end up having a conversation with more people than you wanted to anyway. Yeah. So it's it's also about where am I having this conversation and who am I having it with? Do I really want to understand? Or did I put this post up because I want uh, people to see that I disagree with it? Like, what's my actually... It's also that. It's like, what is my inspiration yeah. for doing anything? Yeah. Like, what what do I? What's my intent? What's my intention behind yeah. these arguments? Is yeah. my intention that I've just annoyed yeah. with Elizabeth Oldfield going on about her spirituality? Yeah. Or is it that I really want to understand what your relationship is with God yeah. and how that works alongside mine? I'm going to pause this conversation with Pippa Evans for a moment to hear what is going on with the Theos team.
and I'm here with Simon Perfect, who works in uh, research around education at Theos and is also a teaching fellow at SOAS. Uh, Simon's working with another colleague, Ben Ryan, on a project around universities. Tell us a bit about that. So this is a new project that we've, we've just started launching. Religion and belief in universities is an increasingly important issue. It's a political issue now, as well as dominating a lot of media discourse. So now is the time for us to be doing some real research about what is actually going on when it comes to religion and belief in universities in the UK. So our research has got two main elements. The first of it is a kind of national mapping exercise where we are trying to work out what different student societies exist in all universities across the country that are focusing on religion and belief. And, and unbelief? And unbelief as well, so including atheist, humanist and secular, secular societies. So we're interested in how many there are, what are they doing, where are they distributed. So a national mapping exercise, which no one's really done before. And then we're also going to do six case studies focusing on different universities around the around the country, different types of universities as well. We'll be going and camping out in those universities for about a week. Reliving your student experiences? Absolutely. Can't get away from it. And we'll be speaking to as many people as we can, students involved in different societies to find out what are they doing? And most importantly, what are the kind of controversial issues around religion and belief on campus and how do they manage it? How are these societies dealing with issues like freedom of speech, like um, questions about uh, conservative social or political uh, perspectives on different issues to do with whether it be Brexit or abortion, how are those kind of issues dealt with? Um, and the key kind of question that we're interested in is what, if anything, do these student societies focusing on faith and belief contribute to building social cohesion on campus? How do they, how can they be encouraged to foster um, a more cohesive and peaceful campus? And we're taking that angle to try and get away from narratives which tend to assume that all these student societies are problem are somehow problematic we're trying to focus on the positives here brilliant well we await that research uh one element that you've mentioned is about freedom of speech and i certainly have found your recent long read for the theos website on freedom of speech on universities immensely helpful immensely careful thoughtful primer on the issues so if our listeners uh, remember one thing about the freedom of speech on universities debate which is currently very um uh, energizing columnists in particular what would you like them to take away the key the key point i would take away to t- from this is we need to get beyond the simplistic narratives that tend to be dominating this whole discourse the key simplistic narrative is that students are snowflakes this this term that's used to mean that they 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 cannot take uh, criticism or they cannot stand opposition to their particular views I work at a university and I'm only speaking from my perspective, but I see no evidence that this is the case. But this is a narrative that has got political salience. It's it's supported by different political or, uh, or lobby groups for a particular purpose. And actually, we need to we need to move beyond that generalization and do some real research to find out, OK, if there are issues with freedom of speech in universities, what are the issues and why are they there rather than just assuming that it's because these students uh, cannot take 
criticism or cannot engage in uh, meaningful debate. So moving beyond those simplistic narratives is the key thing. Wonderful. Well, I would urge you to go and check out that long read on the website uh, to get up to speed on that important area. Simon, thanks so much for talking to us. And now we're going to continue our conversation with Pippa Evans. Let's loop around a little bit. Uh, I'm aware that some of our people listening might not know exactly what Sunday Assembly is. So Sunday Assembly is a secular congregation that celebrates life. Uh, We have a motto which is live better, help often and wonder more. And it was born out of the idea that there wasn't a secular space that was uh, a space to ask big questions, to connect with the world around us that wasn't Mm -hmm. anti-religious. And that was the big thing for both of us, myself and Silas and Jones, who I started with, that it should be a celebration of life rather than, say, a um, science-based critical thinking space or a, a specifically atheist space. So one of the things we say is, you know, we don't do the supernatural, but we won't, we won't, we won't um, say you're wrong if you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big, a big part of it. So it's a space to come and reflect. Uh, you come in, it's very much based on a cross between a church service and a comedy show. And that being simply because that's our background, we were two comedians and we came up with the idea on the way to a, sh- to a gig uh, and um, had no idea how it would take off, which has been incredible. Uh, and so, so it's you come in and uh, we sing pop songs instead of hymns. We have a poet instead of uh, reading from a uh, text and um, we have a speaker sort of TEDx type, a TED type talk on a theme. And uh, then we have a moment of reflection where we all sit together in silence and it's paid for voluntary. So anyone can come, but there is a collection. Uh, so it's paid for by donations and then outside of the actual assembly, we have things like peer to peer support groups where someone can come along. It's like an eight week long course where you just are with a group of your peers and you say, I want to achieve X or I'm worried about this and they support you for those eight weeks Uh, and other things like service projects and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's very much based on that idea of, uh, yeah, the church model. Um, And when it first launched, it felt quite different in the atheist space and you said, in the atheist space, you, you said about not being anti-religious and that being quite important to you in Sanderson, but it was immediately labelled as the atheist church. And I gather there was a bit of confusion about why you weren't being more hostile. Uh, oh, well, yeah. So we start. Well, it got called the atheist church because it, it's like actually a great shorthand, isn't yeah. it? Atheist yeah. church, church for people who don't believe in God. But um, but actually, um, all those labels, you know, the um, even even humanists, you know, so I agree with a lot of the humanist principles, but but having a label on you of what you are, I think just um, sort of, I find it limiting rather than helpful in terms of spirituality and faith because because I'm in this space of, you know, I'm, I'm probably an agnostic rather than atheist. So then I feel like, well then, 
can I be a humanist? I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so I just avoid it. Uh, so, so it was very important to me that that shouldn't actually be important. So the thing that upsets me most about religion is the labelling of it. So the idea that once you say I'm a Christian, someone goes, ching, 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 ching. Mm-hmm. This is what a Christian is. And the same with, uh, same with humanists or even atheists. You know, what is an atheist in your head? Uh, the, the atheists I came across, I have to say, ger- during my time at, uh, since Sunday Sunday, have generally been very aggressive men in black t-shirts and black head scarves so uh, is that what uh, yeah yeah yeah. but is that what an atheist no of course not that's just the the loudest ones you know so do we always have to be painted by the picture of the loudest ones so this is a space to explore what you are you know we've had people come to Sunday Assembly and it's made them go back to church because they they came to the space and realised that's what they actually no I do I am a Christian we've had other people come who've gone thank goodness this is what exactly what I needed having been thrown out of a religious space you know so it's a really really important space because yeah I mean literally people whose families have turned their back on them because they decided they didn't believe in God which seems incredible in the UK uh you know that that happens but also obviously now we have I think 50 in America and that's obviously a very uh areas of very religious uh areas of very religious what does that mean (laughs) some very religious bits and so so, for example, Nashville is, you know, the Bible Belt. And so they they have quite a strong amount of people who've come from church backgrounds and been... Yeah. How old is Sunday Assembly now? Five years, yeah. Oh. Um, so it was launched ten years ago. That was when The God Delusion was published. There was quite a lot of, look, uh, a little, you know, mano a mano going on here, quite literally at the time. Um, uh, it feels to us like the... Certainly, the atheist community, uh, for one, communities, let's always use communities, that's better, um, has maybe shifted or changed in tone in that very kind of peak nasty, really, peak shrill, um, not least because of Richard Dawkins' sort of gradual public implosion, but the other things going on um, has settled a bit. Do you feel now that people are more, do you see more people showing up sort of? Uh, feeling that they can be not religious but not necessarily hostile to it. You mean as in atheists not being shrill coming and still yeah, enjoying I it? I mean, despite... those are black, your men in black t-shirts and black hats. Okay, yeah. Are they losing the grip on the kind of public profile? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's important to to mention that the reason they were shrill is because it was the only way to get their voice heard. So they were shouting above a very loud noise, which was saying you know, that the church should have a lot. But at the same time... Um, if you're not super anti-church and you're still questioning what it is, where is that space? And that's the Sunday Assembly space. So, so we do have people who come. We have people who organise Sunday Assembly who are very uh, big or um, involved in the atheist world. Mm. And they think of it as different hats. So they have their atheist campaigner hat, which they take off when they come into the Sunday Assembly door and replace it with a Sunday Assembly hat, which is more on their, almost like their spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Um, as to whatever that is, recognizing yeah. that they need, they need that to be fed yeah. uh, within them. Yeah. That's not to say there's still a lot of people who think Sunday Assembly is the worst thing that could have ever happened to atheism because it weakens it in their eyes. Because right. it's, it's giving some ground and saying there's some good stuff here. Yeah, and you'll say you know. But I think if any, if any, people have done something for two thousand years, 
There must be something in it, you know. <laughs> you know, there must be something in it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of difference between the church yeah. and churches. So yeah. there have been some institutional big issues with the church. Yeah. But in terms of the good work that individual churches do, it's incredible. Well, we know from our research that actually, when you sort of strip away the polemic being properly committed to a faith community is just good for you your mental health your general well-being your physical health and that in terms of local communities embedded faith communities in lots of areas now are the only ones left standing and doing just an enormous amount of good in their communities which part of our frustration my frustration is the kind of narrative about religion is so for some understandable reasons so toxic and mainly about abuse pedophilia you know terrorism power grabs, institutional infighting. Um, whereas the kind of big picture of what it means in people's lives on the ground is the sort of the flip side of that. It's mm-hmm. almost entirely positive. Why do you think that's come about? Is there anything we can do about it? What changed the narrative? Mm-hmm. To be honest, I think the church would have to lose some of its power. I think that's... They need to see a bit more equality and having actually, you know... Was it... I think it was Prince Charles said when he comes to king, he wants to be defender of the faith, not yeah. defender of the faith, which, you know, might be one of the only sensible things that was said. You can cut that if you have to. Uh, and But, you know what I mean? He... Uh, but... And I think there's truth in that. And I think what we need to see actually is more representation of all the faiths, including those who have no faith, uh, so even like thought for the day, mm-hmm. I'd love to do a thought for the day. <laughs> I'd love you to. They do They never asked day. me to do a thought, and you know, and I think, uh, and I think that's the voice they also want to hear is the secular voice who is thinking about the bigger pictures because there is a sort of a, uh, you know, is it fifty two percent of the UK now identify as non religious? Yeah, and that's a big old chunk. Yeah. So uh, who's talking for them? You know, because there's a sort of suggestion there that. If there's and I thought for the day is not you know, a straw poll of the world, but there's a suggestion there that therefore only forty eight percent of the country should be represented in having thoughts. So believe it or not, the non-religious also have thoughts and think about big questions like death and life and how am I going to get through the day and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So so I suppose to change that narrative, people need to see, be less maybe fearful of the church or. Um, see it as just another part of another option you know it's an option rather than you're in or you're out I think this question of kind of religion religious power and privilege is really interesting because it's so at the heart of some of the disagreements that believers and unbelievers have uh, but people's perspective on it is so different so I'll talk to some of my really great friends like you who are non-religious who perceive the church as having quite a lot of power and privilege and sort of institutional position a lot of it historical um, and then I talk to kind of Christians out and about you know if I'm doing field work in a, a state in the northeast, talking to a church that you know runs all this amazing social action stuff and I'll be talking to the Christians there and they feel like the church has almost no power and privilege you know they feel um rightly or wrongly sometimes uh, nervous about being themselves in public in institutions in places you know they might get some of the language wrong or they might accidentally say something that makes them sound like homophobe or they're just aware of some of people's baggage around religion and therefore for them something like thought for the day or uh, equivalent on radio two or you know perhaps they're being a church of being the primary school at the end of their road they they tell me they find that just sort of encouraging because it make they can see something of them and their values in the wider culture that makes them feel a bit less like a complete weirdo or complete less slightly less right on the margins. Mm. And I sort of hear the validity of both of those arguments. Uh, I don't I really no idea what the answer is, but it it does come back to um, 
what you know in a in a kind of plural public space where there's all these identities rubbing up against each other uh, what does privilege mean what does power look like uh, how do we how are we kind to each other how are we fair to each other how do we level the playing field enough so that both no one group or no one person has more access to power um, but also that in those more subtle ways everyone feels like they can come kind of authentically um, even if they you know they need to be well mannered and kind and you know not an idiot but you know they can come and have different views on the world and believe different things and talk reasonably with each other but again it comes back to baggage doesn't it baggage of words that that again what and what's your intention what's your intention when you say i'm a, a christian like, what do you want what's the actual information you're trying to get across there yeah. that is it i have a faith in god is it i uh, am a generous person is it that i have values because again a Christian, you know, that's the why we have so many different denominations of church is yeah. because because people went, oh well, actually, uh, I, I I don't understand this kind of church. I, I'm going to start my own church, you know. And people do just start churches all over the shop. Yeah. You know, people start their own little churches. And there's churches in people's front rooms that we don't even know about. You know, yeah. we think of when you say church, even you think of big cathedrals or whatever. But yeah. actually. Yeah, people's front rooms are, are churches. And again, that's, I suppose, for me, that's what Sunday Assembly is, is, is the new flavour. Yeah. And soon there will be tons of flavours of segre- segregation. Or, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a Freudian slip, if ever there were one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, of, uh, of uh, non-denominated... Non, 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 oh, yeah. I can't remember my words. <laughs> let's, let's start that situation. A new flair, there'll be lots of flavours of secular churches or, or gatherings of that kind, which there already are in some ways. And it's just about what's the difference between, say, something like Sunday Assembly and a hiking group. Like, why why would you create that? And I think it's to do with this thing of where do I go when I have big questions that maybe I don't even want to ask someone. Yeah. I just want a space that I can consider and ponder which isn't that I don't have to also climb up a mountain. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. climbing up mountains is a good place to ask those questions. Yeah. But where am I going to go? Where's where's somewhere that I can hear different versions of the world and hear different ideas and decide whether I like them or not? Not be told this is the one way to do things. So I think a lot of Christians listening to this, and I hope there's people from all different sets of beliefs listening to this. But if Christians listen to this, a lot of them will be thinking. Well, that's that's what church is for me. Or that's how I first encountered church. That actually, this idea that most churches, some do, obviously, um, will kind of hand down a prescribed way of looking at the world. I, I, my hunch is it's not most people's experience. That actually, very often they are these places for people questioning, for people wrestling, trying to gather around this sort of perplexing, wonderful, attractive person of Jesus who. We're, you know, we're sort of looking at squint and thinking, oh, there's something very compelling there. I don't really understand it. Um, and doing that together and creating, uh, yeah, quite open spaces for, you know, with a, a flavour, as it were. <laughs> not a kind of, I am an objectively laying out all the options, but um, certainly not, uh, not didactic, not so, um, I guess, finger-wagging as people think church is. Is there... I don't really know what my question is, but is there, uh, for those people who came to the Sunday Assembly and decided actually what they did want was to go back to church, what might have helped them? What might churches have been able to do um, to, I guess, get that message out? Infrastructure, mainly. Tell me more about that. Well, the fact that churches have already a way of organising. And I think the hardest thing we found with Sunday Assembly is, yeah, who is in charge if there isn't a clear 
dogma or uh, whatever hierarchy or vicar type person, you know. So myself or Sanderson hosts, but I would never wish. You know, one of the big things was in um, in Sunday Assembly we have a bit called blah blah is trying their best originally it was Pippa is trying her best <laughs> and the reason I put that in is because I wanted there to be a human element of yes this whole assembly is about I don't know um, living a full life let's say but here's a five minute testimonial of me failing to do that whilst attempting to do it Yeah. and how important it was to show failure so maybe that's the bit of church that people don't get to see is the human side of someone trying to live a good Christian life and failing. Yeah. Um, and so that image of sort of the pious Christian yeah. is still so strong yeah. because we don't get to see, I don't know, Bear Grylls, he gets, he says he's a, he's a Christian, isn't he? Yeah. And so he's probably he's probably there. I'm sure the church were very excited to be like, thank you, Bear Grylls, <laughs> finally a cool Christian. Uh, You're not really and, um, Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and things like that haven't helped over the years, but... What am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, church, what churches do is have a stronger structure and make people feel safe because there is a there is a, a vague promise of an answer. And I get a lot of pamphlets from my door of all the churches around. There's quite a lot of churches around here, and some of them promise me that I will be richer, that I will have friends, that I will find love. You know, they make yeah. all these these promises, and those are churches rather than yeah. rather than uh, Christians. I would say. And how great, what a great thing if you felt you could do that. And yeah. that's much more than Sunday Assembly can promise you. Yes. We can't promise you anything other than the space to to feel uh, feel sort of supported in. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think that that's the big thing is the infrastructure. But then again, you know, we're only five years old. So maybe in 2,000 years, everyone will be <laughs> hating on us. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what you've talked about sounds like a ref- sounds like an echo or a, a reworking or reimagining of the practice of confession of that in a church service saying I do want to, I don't do the things I want to do like I can't live up to my own standards God I can't live up to your standards like thank God for grace thank God for mm-hmm. forgiveness so something that should be so obvious for Christians and I think is really close to a lot of our kind of experience of it this idea that brokenness is kind of normal natural and okay and we're still loved being quite a sort of liberating idea but the fact that it doesn't come through in public at all that people feel judged by Christians even if that's never the intention or sometimes probably is the intention you know so I think there's a real disconnect between Mm. what should be coming through and what is coming through yeah Yeah, well what's our experience you know with Christians for me uh, I mean this is outside my experience having been in a church and and it really I think if I hadn't had that experience of being in a church which was very positive I probably wouldn't be as positive about uh, Christianity and obviously with my brothers who are wonderful human beings so I can only see the positive from their point of view, really. Um, but I get knocked on my door and told, you know, I've got the answer and there's something very intrusive about that. Mm-hmm. I was on the tube and this I was chatting to this American guy and he was so charming. We were having a really nice chat and he went, the thing is, I'd like to tell you about my friend Jesus Christ. And I just felt like I'd been had. Like, yeah. oh, you weren't you weren't connecting me with me, actually. You just wanted to sell me your product. Right. And I think that's that's the maybe the hardest bit is you're trying... How, how can you... How can someone be... Uh, cl- sure that you're genuine in the offering yeah, of yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ as a product. Yeah. You know, um, I, why are you trying to sell me this thing? Is it because you get ultimate salvation or is it because you genuinely think it's going to help me? And how can really someone knocking on my door know that? 
yeah. when they don't know me. And I think that's the problem is it's like one size fits all, yeah. that, that attitude towards it. And the same with Sunday Assembly, we have the same problem, which is, uh, in a way, which is trying to explain to people, you might not like this. Yeah. You know, you're a non-believer. This might not be the way you want to be a non-believer because you might not like pop music. We have people say, I hate the songs you sing. It's like, yeah. well, either go and start your own thing or maybe you don't need this. Like, this is a specific thing for people that need a congregation, that feel like they're lonely in London. Like, it's very popular in cities and that's yeah. because people are on their own yeah. working too hard and find it impossible to make personal connections. Yeah. And it's so much easier to go into a space and make personal connections if... There's a motto, live better, help off and wonder more. If you're coming into that space, you probably agree with that motto. So yeah. you've already got a baseline of, I want to make a, be a better person, I want to help other people, and I want to be inspired by the world. Yeah. So there's that. I think that's the big thing is, where is where's the space that I meet other people who have a similar attitude towards the world? Yeah. In terms of thinking about how we talk to each other in public, how particularly believers and non-believers talk to each other, we, you know, you and I both see the extreme ends of... Uh, religious people and the streamers of atheists sort of you know tanking it out yeah. <laughs> um, in public debates on Twitter you know writing columns against each other and all those kind of things I think both of us think it's not representative um, given that fairly kind of deeply embedded in certainly in Christian faith and I think in other faiths is this sense of gift of having received something good um, and therefore the instinct to at least you know offer it or share it or invite it or at least you know help people be more informed about it um is probably not going to go away uh how what are the ways that you've maybe seen that done that are the least annoying (laughs) and what are the things that people definitely shouldn't do whether that's tone or tactic or i think i'm a big fan of show don't tell you know why you know it's saying it's how annoying is it when someone says uh, I don't know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book actually I'm gonna write a book it's called it's called my ideas about the world yeah yeah I'm gonna write I definitely write a book and then you see them again they go hey how's that going with that book yeah. oh yeah oh yeah it's definitely on its way it's definitely and it yeah. never happens they never yeah. write the book but they just want you to know about the book and I sometimes feel that about the knocks on the doors and the people on the that guy on the tube because because I, I'd rather just see it like the people to me who make me go um, wow you can really gain a lot from church are my brothers and my friend Lucia and I probably include yourself in this as well and other Christians I know who never bang me over the head with the Bible but so definitely that live except that one time in hospital yeah well that. let's not bring that up right now uh, yeah is that I um, yeah is it, as I see that your lives are rich in in your souls so that's much more likely to make me question, maybe I should go back to church. And again, like, I think people who don't believe in God think about that a lot more than uh, Christians maybe do. No, of course I think about going to church all the time. I think even when Jonathan was talking about, our friend Jonathan was talking about going in some church in Cornwall and really refining his connection with Jesus. It's like, I can't swear. <laughs> but it's like, Jonathan! Yeah. Uh, so unfair that you, you found that, you know. Who knows? Like, in 20 years' time, maybe I'll find Jesus again and be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I did miss you. It wasn't just miss, church. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't just church. I'm, at the moment, I don't think that would happen. But I, I think it's really important to be open to those things. Uh, and that sort of comes back to these conversations. You know, seeing aggressive shouting at each other doesn't make anyone respond well to either side, really. It's just shouting. Yeah. Who's ever really got anything done 
with yeah. shouting other yeah. than maybe your mom at the end of the day when she's so just wants you to go to bed right? yeah. and you've only gone to bed through fear for your life yeah. and you just lie there being angry you don't get to sleep yeah, yeah so that's not the way to change people's minds and it's also it's a long slow process yeah. why are we always trying to change the whole world's mind rather than the five people at our fingertips Pippa thank you I feel like uh, I have had my mind expanded and been changed thank you very much you're welcome I'm great <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Sacred. I hope you'll listen out for future episodes. I'll be talking to Francis Spufford, Andrew Copson, Giles Fraser, and many more. And you can also check out our first episode with Jonathan Rowson. I'm on Theos Elizabeth on Twitter. Please let me know what you think. And I hope that you'll engage with Theos. Our website is theosthinktank.co.uk, or you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs>